Welcome back to Pop Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I am your hostess with the mostest. You can call me Rocky. And uh, folks, we we are once again plumbing the depths. We are spelunking into Plato's cave. Uh, <laughs> vis a we're, we're, we're stepping back into Plato's closet uh, mm. and uh, pulling out the secondhand clothing of you the Beatles. The <laughs> oh yeah, I've got I've got my I've got my coupon right here. It's for uh one free riddle. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Leon, how's it going? Good. Um Mice in the walls. <laughs> That's all. There's mice. <laughs> uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Doing fantastic. Thank you for having us. Doing so good. All right, let's see. Um, is there any new stuff to go over? Eh, let's not do news this week. I, I normally do news when we're when there's things that I want to talk about that um are not being widely discussed, as with when uh well actually here's something that uh, I saw just a moment ago. It seems like Cobra Starship is maybe back. Right. Yeah, first they uh, created a TikTok account, and that was one thing. But then uh, That's today, for the teens. that was for the teens. But then just a few minutes ago, uh, they did something for the millennials as well. They had uh, Gabe Saporta go on Twitter and do a a sort of parody of that video of the original Blues Clues guy. Um, oh. That was going around a little bit ago, where he was like, "I'm sorry, and I love you," and very strange thing, honestly. That, yeah, that's that. a breakup text of a video, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I never really, I mean, you know, I, I remember that OG Blue's Clues era. That was, of course, a, you know, a formative time for me. But, you know, when he left, it was like, okay. <laughs> all right. Didn't exactly, didn't exactly have, like, you know, hard feelings about it. But anyway, uh, Cobra Starship is DMing people a link at which they can input their address, and that is the latest news on Cobra Starship. <laughs> to to go where? Uh, <laughs> the the link takes you to a website that um, has an image of like a snake medallion, and at the bottom it says copyright 2021 fueled by ramen, and then when you cl- click on it, it leaves a thing to put in your information and including your uh, physical address, and uh, that's all it is so far. And social security number and credit card <laughs> number and CVV. That's right. Uh, uh, your daily schedule and your greatest fears. Yeah. They're getting their fans to volunteer their couches to the band <laughs> for their upcoming return tour. Yeah, they're violating the Third Amendment by... Quartering <laughs> <laughs> soldiers? Quartering. <laughs> yeah, we can't quartering. be compelled to quarter a starship. Yeah, quarter a, starship, quarter a Cobra starship trooper. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for your service, Gabe yeah. Starship. Now I'm. Can we quarter? Only in a some cobra? states. We can half a Cobra for sure. A quarter Ooh, would be yeah. difficult. Well, if you're just, you know, if you're doing more parallel cuts, <laughs> you're chopping, you're finely mincing. Sure. Yeah, we're we're mincing we're, we're mincing cover made here. Um, Don't get me wrong. 
if you cut a cobra, would you do it like this or this? I would do it like this. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, it's unexpected for me, but <laughs> you do you. For those of you just joining us, um, <laughs> this is part two of our expedition. We are gathering the clues to solve the Beatles' uh, enigmatic riddle for teens. And uh, the first clue, which we ha happened upon over about 90 minutes the last time we spoke, was um, quarrymen old before our birth, straining each muscle and sinew. Right. Which has arrested me the entire time since we've parted from that. <laughs> Certainly. Now, we're going to uh, be keeping that in mind as we go through the, this next chapter of the Beatles uh, story. Um, and try to find the next clue. And I also... am beekeeping in my mind. Sure. <laughs> it's your mind palace, and then you're just, it's, you know, all your little thoughts are it's bees, just bees in there. Yeah. It's just bees. Like bees from heaven. Um, last, last time we also talked about uh, making the Beatles relevant to teens, and uh, came up with a little bit of a TikTok uh, allegory. I'm not sure what that question is going to be what I do know is that we are going to continue our little ritual here by going through Reader's Digest 37 Riddles for Teens with Answers. <laughs> so excited. First of all, when I went to the uh, Reader's Digest page, I was greeted with a pop up ad. Um, you know how you'll go to a publication's website and they'll uh, have a little thing that's like, you can put in your email and we'll give you, you know, 20% off or you can get, you know, updates or whatever. Mm -hmm. So so this thing I got from Reader's Digest, I'm just going to read the text here. Uh, there, We have these images. Let me share the actual image in chat just so we can uh, go over it together a little bit. Uh, but so there's these two people sort of... Uh, having a laugh <laughs> in the sidebar here. And then the text reads, do you want to learn 10 short jokes that are easy to remember? Oh, wow. Could be 10 short jokes, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I do believe it's 10 short jokes. Enter your email below to unlock 10 short jokes. <laughs> yeah. There's a space to enter your email. The two buttons underneath that are show me the 10 jokes and no thanks, I don't want jokes. I don't want jokes. Mm. And then it does permit you to see how, you, how you'll have your email used by Reader's Digest. <laughs> by Reader's Digest, yeah. Which is the first joke. <laughs> it's pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess we'll never know because we don't want any jokes here. We only want riddles for teens. We need the challenge. Yes. We have ten sections on this on this on this image, so I'm assuming those are the jokes. <laughs> There's ten sections. Are there? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I see how there are ten. Yeah. Subliminally beamed straight to your bees palace. Yeah, each of these represents a joke. Alright, let's get into some riddles here. Okay. This, this first riddle is called Heart of the Problem. What has 13 hearts but no lungs or stomach? Fucked up cow. Well, 
You forest. Know, forest. <laughs> you, dear reader, the girl reading this. Yeah, the the reader digesting this. Uh, <laughs> orchard of thirteen trees. <laughs> Here's a little blurb before we get to the answer. Oh, I love those. Oh no. Your teen will probably be thinking literally. <laughs> as, as always. As teens are known for. And will be trying to remember from science class what animal matches this description. Yeah. There's my fucked up cow mistake. Oh, from science class, yeah. Oh, they didn't teach me about this. But with riddles, you have to think of multiple word meanings. In this case, what else hearts could refer to? Like wood. <laughs> like wood, yeah. And the like artichokes. <laughs> like artichokes, yeah. Uh, the answer given is a deck of cards. <gasps> that's actually a pretty alright riddle. You think? Okay. Yeah, that's the riddle. I'm glad we're uh, we're getting our juices, our riddle juices flowing here, because we're solving the greatest riddle of all today. But um, we're going to do a few more. Yeah. They're really, they're starting to solve strong on this one, though. Yes. This riddle is called Don't Tell. Ooh. If you have it, you don't share it. If you share it, you don't have it. What is it? It's a, I heard this one. And short jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Your email with Reader's Digest. Yeah. You won't another, have it that's anymore. That's not a riddle. That's another pop-up. Yeah, you won't have it anymore if you give it to them. <laughs> I do know the answer, but I want to know the blurb. Yes, of course. The blurb is, is very important here. Um, the subject of this riddle is something that many teens know about. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, is it Uber again? <laughs> it's Uber <laughs> If you have an Uber, you don't share it. Unfortunately, secrets and gossip are probably part of their lives. They've already revealed the fucking... They they fucking... Before we even... (laughs) They're not doing us... uh... They're they're really... You know, they started out strong and now they're disappointing us. You You can use the riddle as an opening. So the answer is a secret. But you can use this riddle as an opening to ask them what they think about keeping secrets. And then you use that as an opening for them to tell you their secrets? Well, is it ever okay to keep a friend's secret or to keep a secret from a friend? (laughs) Readers. I just this. this, readers. When is it not okay? When is it not okay? Is it ever okay, and when is it not okay? This is interesting, because this is sort of asking the question to the Beatles. Oh! Yeah. It's almost an epistolic kind of quality here. Perhaps, perhaps so, and as we get into it, I think there may be some secrets. Yeah. We, we, we can consider what the secret of the Beatles is. Ooh. Is it okay for them to have it? Uh, <laughs> is it okay for them to share it with us? Yeah. Let's let let's keep that idea of secrets in our bonnet um, as we explore. Tucking it in. 
Yeah, this next riddle, there, there's an, uh, a sponsored content in between here. That's sort of a wiki-how image of someone's uh, digestive area. Um, Readers digest this! Readers <laughs> digest this. The headline is how to... Which ent- digest this? The, the, the headline is how to entirely empty your bowels each morning. Oh, <laughs> don't I know it. Oh, yeah. That's something for readers to digest. Um, Plumbing. Yeah, the uh, the next riddle is called All in the Family. Uh-huh. Two fathers and two sons are in a car. Yet, there are only three people in the car. Uh-huh, I know this one. This is about the Christ. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, it's the Christ and two other uh, gentlemen. <laughs> well, no, it's two fathers, two sons, but one person. Or no, it's two. It's four persons. There's, I think there's one there's, car. There's it's two <laughs> girls, one cup. There's three people there's to the three. car. <laughs> so what I'm positing is that God is the Father and the Son, and then there's a Father and a Son. So that oh, would be God and two yeah. others. Yeah. So we are going for the Trinitarian thing still. I like. I that. would think so. I would think so. But let's see what. Uh, uh, what our teens might think. Yeah. This logic riddle might have your team thinking that they have to do some complicated math. It might. Yeah, <laughs> go on. It could. But this one is more about comprehending how a person, such as a teen's own parent, <gasps> can two titles at once, that of father and son. Now... Oh. It, it, here's... Here's the thing. Uh-huh. So far, these have been... The, the, the article is called Riddles for Teens, but so far they've been posited as riddles for your teen. Uh-huh. And yet riddles this is... Teen. And yet this is... The, the, this sidebar here, such as a teen's own parent, seems to imply that you're just telling these riddles to a teen. Just this riddle, though. Just this riddle to just a team, and they can think yeah. about their parent. Yeah, this riddle is for the guest in the room. Y- yeah, this riddle is for Elijah. Oh, the third, the yeah. third person, the guest. Yeah, this riddle goes uh, out to the Holy Spirit. It's three people in the car and a guest. <laughs> right. <laughs> Elijah the- too is the father. <laughs> the answer is they are grandfather, father, and son. Um. And then it links to check out these logic puzzles that'll keep you guessing. We're we're focused on riddles for teens here. Come on, puzzles. I'm sorry. I don't fucking think so. Not now. Jokes, really puzzles. Think- no thanks. This one is called a hairy problem. Don't I know it? <laughs> don't get me started. A man shaves many times during the day, but at the end of the day, he still has a beard. How's this possible? He just grows really fast. He's a werewolf. He's been Santa Claused. He's been Santa Claused! (laughs) That might be what your team thinks. That might be what your team thinks. (laughs) The answer is overwhelmingly obvious, yes? I I know it. Have we all figured it out? Leon, how we doing? I I think he just... Grows his hair real, really fast. 
That's yeah, yeah. That's probably. Yeah. I think that's correct. You know, that's what we're thinking. This riddle plays with preconceived notions. I'm sorry. <laughs> does it? This hold on. This, this riddle one does. This riddle plays will preconceived notion. What? Oh, hang on. See, this is going to be one of those. Uh-huh. This is the real riddle. This is the real this riddle. This is our secret. This riddle plays will preconceived notions. Uh-huh. This riddle plays oh, no, yeah. will preconceived notions. Hmm. This riddle plays and will preconceived notions. This riddle yeah. plays will reconceived notions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, will. Yeah, the ri- the riddle plays and will reconceived notion, preconceived notion. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to participate in this. Rome burns, and will laughs. Yeah, we assume the man is shaving his own face, <gasps> but that's not the case. They've gotten me again. Ah, having an open mind and seeing other possibilities is called lateral thinking, and teens will learn this technique as they solve riddles like this one. From literal thinking to lateral thinking. <gasps> it is the want of that... teens to literally. We know that. It is the will of preconceived notions. <gasps> oh my god. I yeah. would love for readers digest to think laterally and accept the answer that this man just grows his hair real fast. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is the man the man is a barber. Yeah, I was thinking that he was shaving his legs. Oh. And other members, but like one at a time. <laughs> he just shaves different parts of his body throughout the day. Yeah, he shaves yeah. a member every two hours. <laughs> On an irregular cycle. You'll never... It's only like... At, right at the end of the day that he's completely shaven. <laughs> yeah. But even so, it's kind of started to grow back here and there a little. So he's 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 kind of in a... It's kind of like a loading symbol. Like, he's always in a rotation. Uh, he's yeah. got, like, he's a personal clock. Playing catch-up. <laughs> he's got he a does. body clock. He's got a body clock. It tells the time by stubble. Like oh, a gosh. sundial. Like a sundial. It's like a water clock, but a stubble clock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Would we like to do another riddle, or would we like to talk about the Beatles? <laughs> I'm I'm riddled with with deep grief and anguish about these riddles. I'm riddled. Mm. Let's do one more. <laughs> Let's do one more, <laughs> and then we'll talk about the Beatles. The person who makes it. Oh, hold on. This riddle is called a creepy question. Oh. Mm. Oh, no. Just in time for Halloween. Just in time for All Hallows Ween. The person, <laughs> the person who makes it has no need of it, and neither does the person who buys it. But the person who so, use, <laughs> the person who uses it, can neither see nor feel it. It's a secret again. <laughs> this is a riddle about capitalism. Me yes. thinks. Oh. We're coming. Oh, yeah, alienation. Surplus value. Mm. Extracted from the worker. Indeed. 
This riddle definitely has a touch of the macabre, but if your teen is into <laughs> Halloween... What? Oh! This murder goes out to teens. <laughs> murder mysteries. listeners in the room. Exactly. Or scary movies. This one might be for them. Oh. Plus, it's deadly hard to solve. Oh, this is, oh, I see. It's a coffin. Then. It would be a coffin. That'd be, that'd be a coffin. It, I don't like that this riddle assumes vampires are out of the picture. Well, yeah, that's true. It does, yeah. it does sort of assume, I mean, a vampire can see and feel. It's coffin. ironic you know, to see that they're posing this, this riddle in particular to teens who enjoy scary movies who would be the most conscious of the undead. Uh-huh. And yet, yeah. it, and yet it completely undermines them at every mm-hmm. turn. Oh, they're teaching lateral thinking. <laughs> now, I know I said it would be one more riddle. <laughs> there is a a link at the end of this riddle to a list of scary good Halloween riddles for all. Oh, ages. we gotta! Oh, we have to. I'll 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 propose we do like one or two of these. We gotta. We cannot. Is the season after all? This is the yeah. season. So, this is a long one, so maybe we'll just uh, ruminate on it. The Smith family is a very wealthy family that lives in a big circular home. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. A hut. One morning, Mr. Smith woke up and found his mirror had been shattered. Uh Uh-huh. He knew it was one of his employees who had done it. So he asked them what they were doing in the morning, and he got these replies. Mm Mm-hmm. The driver said, I was outside washing the car. The cook said, I was starting to make lunch for later. For later? And the maid said, I was dusting the corners of the house. Oh, gee. <laughs> From I the wonder. Replies, he knew who it was. I wonder whose alibi. <laughs> Can you guess? Well, hang on. Actually, this is a red herring. Because we are meant to think that it is the maid whose alibi of dusting the corners of the house is at first glance impractical. Mm -hmm. But in fact, a cylindrical house, which we must assume this is as opposed to a spheroid house, would Mm. have corners. They'd just be top-bottom corners rather than side corners. Could be. (laughs) I think that the true answer to this riddle is... Um, the spookiest option, which is how did Mr. Smith was his, with his extra sensory perception to know it was one of his ah, yeah, it could it could have been Dracula, and he this, thought it, oh right, and he, and he thought it was a foul bauble of man's vanity, so he threw it out the window. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, now Mr. Smith, he knew uh-huh. the culprit. Mr. Smith broke his mirror. Okay, that's Mr. it. Mr. Smith broke his mirror. This says it was the maid, but I think <laughs> we know better. I think we know the truth. It was it was Nosferatu. Mm. Foul bobble of man's vanity. Mm-hmm. Oh, his classic line. Now let's talk about the Beatles. The children of the night. <laughs> the children of the night, as what we sweet call music them. They make. Where we last what left off, I'll, I, will, I will read our clue one more time, just so we mm. can think about that and think about the Beatles' secret that they may have and whether or not it's okay for them to share it. Yeah. 
Quarrymen, old before our birth, straining each muscle and sinew. Where we left off, the Beatles, back from Hamburg, are being managed by Brian Epstein, who reigns in their unruly stage presence, gets them to wear suits. That's where we're at. Right. At this time, around 1962, the Beatles had a residency at Liverpool's Cavern Club. They first performed there as the Quarrymen in 1957, but by the time they got back from Hamburg, they had, they had changed their name and the club had changed donors. Mm-hmm. According to the club's resident DJ, Bob Wooler, the Beatles made 292 appearances at the Cavern Club between 1961 and 63. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> in addition to putting the band in suits... Uh, Lennon's comment on that was, yeah, man, all right, I'll wear a suit. I'll wear a bloody balloon if somebody's going to pay me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Epstein also negotiated for a better pay for the band. I think it was from £3 to £10. And he got them organized. Uh, They would record their concerts and just whoever's diary was around. And now they had one diary. Diary? Oh, like like a ledger type deal of what... Yeah, like like a concert diary, but before that point, it would just be, oh, we have uh, George's diary here, so we'll just throw it, throw it in there. Terrible idea. <laughs> Morons. <laughs> oh, they sure are. Secrets, diaries. Mmm. In the cavern. As the cavern became synonymous with the Mersey Beat scene, which is another thing we talked about last week, the Beatles, the last month or two months ago, three months ago, whatever, the Beatles drew an increasingly fervent crowd, attracting international attention. Press representatives from all over Europe would frequent the club, in addition to U.S. reporters from publications like Time, Life, and Newsweek. It was also visited by numerous celebrities. The examples given in the article I was reading were Chet Atkins, Anna Neagle, and Arthur Fiedler. Yes, celebrities. Interesting. I know exactly who these people are, and I'm not bluffing. Well, Chet Atkins is uh, Mr. Guitar. He's the the country gentleman. Um, Anna Neagle uh, was a British actress known for playing historical figures, and Arthur Fiedler was the composer for the Boston Symphony Orchestra for many years. Huh. So celebrities. Hmm. (laughs) Most importantly, they all love the Beatles. They all loved the Young Beatles. Uh, can we go for how many guitars they had at this time again? Well, at this point, they, they are a foursome. They are John, Paul, George, and Pete Best. Oh, okay, so great. They, Pete I, think they, I think they still have uh, two or three guitar players, but they are pretty much the, the lineup that we got. Huh. When the Cavern later renovated, uh, pieces of the old stage the Beatles performed on were sold as Beatle boards. Beetleboards, yeah, saintly relic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they sold like hotcakes. It took them like four months to process the orders. They sold like hotcakes, and you could eat them as such too. Yeah, yeah, they were uh, communion syrup on there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, some gravy. Throw some gravy on that beetleboard. In early 1962, the Beatles were invited to record an hour-long demo for Decca Records. Decca Records? Yeah. Decca Records. They were rejected, with executives executives commenting that, quote, guitar groups are on the way out, and, quote, (laughs) the Beatles have no future in show business. Sorry, guitar groups are on their way out? (laughs) That was the line, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Damn. 
Yeah, for what it's worth, uh, it's been it's been that that line has been interpreted as like a gentle put down of the Beatles rather than an actual prediction. <laughs> I see. Although they did also say the Beatles have no future in show business. So like <laughs> gentle, a gentle, gentle little letdown. Yeah. In April of 1962, the band returned to Hamburg after having been uh, exiled for various crimes, as you'll recall. <laughs> Uh, they were quickly told that Stuart Sutcliffe, the member of the band who had stayed behind in Germany, had Sorry, died. Uh, Stuart oh. Sutcliffe. He was a uh, regular Stringer? member. Stuart Sutcliffe. <laughs> I see. Yes. A regular member of the band, probably going back to the Quarrymen. Uh, he was with them in Hamburg, and they left Hamburg for a year, and when they came back, he was dead. They left him there in the cold to starve. Sorry, he was dead? <laughs> He died. Damn. Guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be like oh young. God, they, just ab- they just abandoned him like a little dog. They really shouldn't have left him, huh? They shouldn't have left him. They shouldn't have. Jeez. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Yeah, a little bit. Good God. But around that same time, uh, their failed DECA demo caught the attention of producer George Martin. Uh, who called the group rather unpromising. That's the quote, but... <laughs> what does middle name happen to be R.R.? Uh, his middle name is Jar Jar. Oh. Okay. George Jar Jar Robinson. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but uh, he, he, li- he liked the sound of Lennon and McCartney's vocals, and so he, uh, you know, had a meeting with their manager, Epstein, and he was... Uh, impressed by how passionate Epstein was about them, so he signed the band to Parlophone Records, the EMI imprint that he'd been running for, like, 15 years at this point. At the time, Martin had not met the Beatles or seen them perform live. Oh. But the contract was... He he didn't sign the contract himself until he heard them. And also, it was a contract for one penny for each record sold, uh, split four ways. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And uh, Martin became seen as a traitor at EMI when he suggested that this rate be doubled the next year. (laughs) Damn. And they'd just gone through such a traumatic thing. They had, yeah. Death of a comrade. Indeed. So the band had their first recording session with George Martin at Abbey Road Studios on June 6th, 1962. George Martin complained about Pete Best's drumming, and felt that the band's original songs were not very good. Not very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he went in, Beatles. He went in, and the, this this whole chunk here, and a lot of the stuff we talked about last week, is just people over and over again being like, these guys stink. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pay them anything. They suck, just... they suck until somebody else tells them what to do. Exactly. The theme, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Mm, secret. Could be. He went in and asked the Beatles if there was anything they personally didn't like, and George responded, I don't like your tie. (laughs) Wow, got him. And then, uh, you know, John and Paul joined in, and they were all, like, riffing. They were were just sort of roasting George Martin, and uh, this was enough to convince Martin to sign the contract, even though he did not like the recording. (laughs) They negged him in a way? (laughs) They negged him. 
something weird. What? He liked their personalities. They're jackass personalities. <laughs> They're shitty guys personalities. Had they returned to the, the the den of scum and villainy that was uh, Hamburg, or <laughs> where, where was this? This was this was in, this was in the UK. They were performing in Hamburg regularly at this time. Okay. Well, they had that, they had that Hamburg spirit. Yeah, good for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. The Hamburg spirit being their old comrade, who's Stu. something yeah. about a ghost. The the Beatles did take uh, George Martin's advice to heart, and they shortly thereafter fired Pete Best, and uh, brought on their old buddy from the Hamburg scene, Ringo Starr. Oh God, <laughs> uh, Ringo, Rongo Bongo, Rongo Bongo is here. They had another recording session on September fourth, nineteen sixty-two. Their first recording with Ringo, where they recorded a bunch of stuff, including an original track called "Love Me Do." A version of which, uh, a version of which with Pete Best was also recorded at the previous session. George Martin still wasn't satisfied with the drumming, so a week later, on September 11th, he brought the band back into Abbey Road to re-record "Love Me Do" and some other songs with uh, Andy White. It was just some drummer, some session drummer. At that session, they recorded three other tracks that would be they they recorded three other tracks that would be released. I only have two here for some reason. Please please me and P.S. I love you. The other one is whatever the B-side to uh, Please Believe Me is. Um, And now, maybe halfway into the second chapter of this series, we're going to talk about a Beatles song. Oh, God. Oh, my God, they made music? (laughs) That's the other thing. They uh, made a whole lot of songs. I thought they were just Hamburg's best (laughs) e-boys. Yeah. Now they're becoming SoundCloud rappers. The Beatles' first release overall and first UK single, uh, their first US single was something else, but we'll get into that, was Love Me Do, released in October of 1962. And now I figure we could take a moment to listen to Love Me Do. Let's shall. I kind of want to know if it... Because the ones that were on YouTube were like remastered or like remastered mono. I want to know if it suffers from the same tambourine in the left ear and everything else in the right ear syndrome that um drive my car does. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's a there's a lot of uh, lore that I that that I do have that we'll get to when we're done oh talking about the song. But uh, yeah, there there are a couple different versions. I do you know. I imagine there were probably problems, but it was also just, um, actually, I, yeah, yeah, I believe, is this the one where Ringo is just on, on, uh, tambourine? It might be, but, uh, yeah, so what do we think of the song? I could really see why they're saying what they're saying about the drumming. It's just, it's really, that's, ooh, bonking and bonking. Yeah. (laughs) Binking and bonking, definitely. Something about the harmony here is really just strange. Yeah, <laughs> it's something that it, it's something that's true of a lot of the Beatles stuff. It's kind of I feel like it's worse on Drive My Car, uh, but there's definitely um, it's not it's not like you know in sync the way that harmonies typically are. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. It sounds thoroughly like an artist beginning career song. It's jangly. It's a little bit skiffle still. 
It's a, it, there, there definitely, there's still a skiffle, uh, you know, undertone to it. Uh, the lyrics that I have here, uh, love, love me, do, you know I love you, I'll always be true, so please love me, do, and uh, the bridge is someone to love somebody new, someone to love someone like you, and that, that's all the lyrics. That's it. That's, like, really deep, man. There, there is sort of a TikTok quality to it, just in terms of having like it, it feeling like a ten-second clip of a song on loop, more so than a song itself. Uh, wow, profound. I'm looking at some comments from a version of this song. Uh, Let me do the Beatles HDHQ by the Rubber Ninety Eight Terabytes. Um. There's a charm to this simple, catchy song, and the harmonica is perfect. I still like it. The harmonica, <laughs> I do enjoy. You're... The harmonica is really good. Jo- John's going yeah. fucking crazy on that harmonica. Yeah, I should have kept. But that I wrong. like how the, I like how the comment is defending the song before <laughs> anything's even said. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Well, any color you like says their first magic song. Proves their unmatched talent as composers and musicians. Ooh. Sounds defensive. Incorrect, also. Composers, I would definitely <laughs> Like, say what you will about, about the Beatles as musicians. <laughs> I feel like composer is not something that no. is typically applied to them. Yeah, that's not really... Uh, hmm. The song is certainly composed of uh, notes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... (laughs) This comment from, uh... Flim Bambo. Flim Bambo? (laughs) Star Wars character. Flim Bambo from Star Wars. Uh, the, 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 the video here is just, like, some old archival footage of them when they were young, and the comment is, by the way, don't they look wonderful and cool, all caps? No, probably not. I wouldn't say so. Uh, the comments, though, are uh, OAM Games says YS. Superfan B says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jean-Francois Auger says, stupid comment. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, John. <laughs> And uh, Muhammad Walden Altaf says, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is yeah. all in a thread. This is all. These are all just comments on the on the original comments. So we're definitely getting a, a range of opinions there. <laughs> I remember having the Beatles' number one hits album on CD as a little kid in the early two thousand. <laughs> Oh. Getting real vintage here. And I love that CD. I would literally listen to it multiple times a day, and this song was one of my favorites. Thanks for bringing back kid, memory. Yes. <laughs> wow. Damn. Hold on. This is from Oreo Ingram. <laughs> uh-huh. Kind of Who could have been a Beatle. <laughs> yeah, Oreo. Kind of bugs me that this song is usually considered by some as one of the greatest Beatles songs. Is that so? Because it is. 
And not only that, it's one of the greatest songs of all time. Wait, why is it? Huh? <laughs> it bugs him that people say it's one of the best Beatles songs because it is. <laughs> what about that? Huh? <laughs> what bugs him? What bugs this Beatle? <laughs> I don't know, but here's a good one. Um, from Rainier, from Rainer Wanson. I'm from 1950. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Time travelers. <laughs> I was 12 years old when the Beatles started, and the first thing I heard was, I want to hold your hand. By the way, the Beatles and I want to hold your hand, all caps. Today, when I hear Love Me Do, also in all caps, for the umpteenth time, and I can tell the difference between the two versions, having read enough, we'll get into the two versions, having read enough about them, I ask myself, what the hell was wrong with George Martin's ears? Uh, this, this is a comment that doesn't totally make sense without the further context that George Martin didn't like uh, Ringo's drumming on this song. Mm-hmm. But uh, what oh. is there to complain about Ringo's drumming? There's a little something to complain about. There's a little something, yeah. Hey, producer colleagues, say something about it. One question mark and three exclamation points. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, GM didn't stop the success of the Beatles, but promoted it a lot. So, still respect. I love the music of the Beatles. And that Beatles is in all caps, but the previous one wasn't. Did, did he Once capitalize again, at all? Uh, just a B in Beatles. Okay. Once again, defensive. Yeah, um... There's a secret war going on against the Beatles, and I won't say anymore. Yeah, another defensive comment here. Still awesome melody to this day. 14th of August, 2021. (laughs) Did they type this out? Yeah. Oh, good. I really hope there's a comment like this for every day. Yeah. We need a running Twitter account. (laughs) We do. Still an awesome (laughs) melody. A fun note about the the part where Paul goes, love me, do, um, <laughs> is that it was supposed to be John doing that part, and he, I assume, had a different thing worked out for it or whatever, but the harmonica solo had to go on top of it. Oh. So rather than uh, overdubbing it, which is what they did for uh, Please Please Me, which we'll get into later, um... They decided to just have Paul do that part and not knowing what to do. He just sort of did that. Oh. Improv. That explains things about that, I think. It does. Because it doesn't sound good. <laughs> it doesn't. It sounds uh, weird. But yeah. <laughs> Almost creepy. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Do. <laughs> yeah. Strange flat. <laughs> It doesn't sound, uh, you know, the, I, I, I mean, I guess not really, but the, you know, at, at least the, the, like, love, love, be do. It's like, it's like they're, you know, kind of urgent about it. And then for him to just be like, love, love me, me do. do. <laughs> I That's guess. the kind of car who's falling asleep. <laughs> so the story of the two versions of this song, because as I said, they recorded one with Ringo and one with Andy White. Due to an EMI library error, the version of Love Me Do first released as a single in the UK was the Ringo version. And then uh, George Martin realized this. The Ringo version was destroyed. (laughs) And subsequent releases have been the Andy White version. And the version in the video I was looking at was the Ringo version, but I believe the, the version you'd find on the official Beatles channel would be the Andy White version. 
Uh, <laughs> so you, you gotta just you gotta just think that like they did it with Pete Best, and then they did it with Ringo, and then they did it with Andy, and it was probably just like we gotta get this out already. <laughs> like like fine. Yeah, oh I think I listened to the official Beatles channel version which would be the not Ringo version, and it was very much still bonky and clonking, so I don't know. Yeah, well, Ringo, song. Ringo is doing tambourine on the on the Andy White version. Mm. Mm. There are conflicting reports about how the song was written. We know that most of it was written by Paul McCartney around 1958 when he was, like, 16 and he was, you know, cutting school. Sure. It's said that John Lennon contributed the middle eight, uh, which again is someone to love, somebody new, someone to love, someone like you. Uh, and the song is credited to Lennon McCartney. Lennon says, Love Me Do is Paul's song. I do know he had the song around in Hamburg, even way, way before we were songwriters. Meanwhile, Paul says, Love Me Do is completely co-written. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, defensive. They're trying to shunt it off on each other. they're doing a back and forth shunt motion here for sure um it's it's weird to be talking so much about the writing because again it doesn't even really feel written (laughs) like love love me do you know i love you i'll always be true so please love me do and that other part the bridge that's all the lyrics (laughs) yeah this is a sketch. This is a sketch of lyrics. Yeah. It does. And I talk a lot about, um, for instance, like Maroon 5 having songs that feel like sketches. But even, even you know, you listen to Girls Like You and it's like, Girls Like You. And it's like, you can imagine a couple of guys sitting around trying to come up with like what that tune and what those words are going to be. This this really feels like they were just jangling around and just said whatever came to mind. <laughs> Um, uh, me too. You, you know, know, I love you. you. <laughs> so please. Yeah. Love me too. <laughs> yeah. So at the, at the, and, and then for them to be like, for them to be like, yeah, Paul had this for like five years. He was always like talking about it. And, and that like, like was, <laughs> I, to, to, I don't know, to hold on to, <laughs> to hold on to this I for mean, that long. When they say it's like, this is even before we were songwriters. It's like, yeah, well, clearly. <laughs> Definitely. At the September 4th recording session, Martin was still insisting that the Beatles release their cover of the song How Do You Do It as their first single. That was a a song that hadn't been released yet, but someone else wrote it for someone else, and then George Martin just, like, had it. Um, And he he still felt that their original songs were, like, not good enough, and that the selling point was their personalities and not their ability. Um, But the... The the fact that he was so enamored by their personalities is why he allowed them to continue recording their own material, which was like, it was really not done at the time. Like, they had songwriters, and they would just just give these pop groups the songs, and they would record them. But the, the Beatles kind of got a an extra in there, again, by by negging <laughs> George Martin. Oh, my God. With their God. great personalities. These scoundrels. Yeah. <laughs> Professional scoundrels. Yeah, these... <laughs> So Paul McCartney claims that it was at the September 4th session that George Martin suggested they include harmonica. 
What did they have previously? Yeah, it, it seems like that's not true because they because on one of these anthology albums that they did in like the nineties or whatever, you they have the Pete Best version, which is from the June recording session, and there's harmonica on it. Yeah, <laughs> like what else would the song have contained if there wasn't harmonica? <laughs> I don't know. Bonking, what would have been driving the melody of the song? I mean, God, jingling, jingling. And George Martin says that the says that the reason he had them recorded in the first place was because of the harmonica part. <laughs> yeah, no, that's who says this. Paul McCartney says it. <laughs> oh, that scoundrel! That scoundrel! Don't believe a word he says. Typical. Don't believe his lies. Don't let him get away with it because of his fantastic personality. Oh yeah. Don't let him nick you into it. Just looking at that Love Me Do cover, it's crazy how, like, you can immediately tell who's Paul, but, like, for me, the rest of them look like they could be any guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They sort of haven't gotten the haircuts yet, either, have they? They sort of, I mean, they're, they're, they're the little German boy haircuts, so they, in theory, they did, but they're not as, uh... Pronounced. Uh, pronounced, yeah. They're German boy features. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely become... <laughs> More pronounced out with time. Wizened people. I mean, whichever one's on, whichever one's on the left here, just looks like like a normal like crew cut kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. this is the photo of when your four asshole schoolmates throw you off the second floor of the building. <laughs> your four scoundrels, yeah. Four scoundrels from your hometown have finally gotten their hands on you. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of scoundrels, the harmonica that John Lennon used in these sessions was one that he stole from a music He stole it from a music shop in the Netherlands while the Beatles and like ten of their friends were traveling to Hamburg by minivan, as you'll recall. Those <laughs> bastards. They stole all their instruments. <laughs> they stole the guitar from that from the Canadian impresario. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They stole his harmonica too. They stole the harmonica from a Dutch impresario. <laughs> Dutch impresario. <laughs> you're either a beetle or you're an impresario. That's the secret war. <laughs> uh, Paul says John expected to be in jail one day, and he'd be the guy playing the harmonica. Damn right, if he keeps stealing them. <laughs> if he keeps stealing harmonicas, yeah. What are you in for? I stole a harmonica. <laughs> I stole a harmonica so that I'd have something to play while I'm in prison. <laughs> it's, it's not about theft. It's about the intellectual war on the Beatles. Definitely. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's what we're making. We're waging that. <laughs> yep, I'll wager. It was after Love Me Do was selected as the single that Martin decided it needed to be re-recorded. Uh, Ringo's recollection yeah. of being replaced is, I was devastated that George Martin had his doubts about me. I came down ready to roll and heard, we've got a professional drummer. <laughs> oh no. He's apologized, he's apologized several times, has old George, but it was devastating. <laughs> I hated the bugger for years, I still don't let him off the hook. <laughs> Oh my god. That's a grudge. Fierce, Fierce yeah. rivalry. Paul also says, I don't think Ringo ever got over that. <laughs> no honor among thieves. 
he had to go back up to Liverpool and everyone asked how to go in the smoke. We'd say B-side's good, but Ringo couldn't admit to liking the A-side not being on it. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Poor Rungo Bungo. Poor Rungo. There are also conflicting reports <laughs> about who brought Andy White in and whether or not George Martin was at the September 11th session. Huh. George Martin seems to say that he brought Andy White in and didn't let Ringo record on the 4th. <laughs> Sorry. He... Oh. That okay. is to say that the Andy White session was the 4th and that a Ringo version of the song doesn't exist, except it does. Uh- <laughs> which, is, which is to say, goddamn, who gives a shit? The truth truth seems to be that the session on the 11th was the one where Andy came in, and George Martin was not at that session, but he was the one who made them do that session. (laughs) Oh. Okay. That's awful. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the original version of the song is Ringo on drums and no tambourine. The official version today is Andy on drums, Ringo on tambourine. The single was released on October 5th. It debuted at number 49 on the UK charts and would peak at number 17 around the end of the year. Paul says that in the publishing deal with EMI, they were allowed to retain the rights to their first two singles, which were Love Me Do and its B-side, P.S. I Love You. This because they're already not being paid anything. They're being paid a penny a record, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's abysmal. Yeah, that brings us into P.S. I Love You, which I figure we can listen to. Well, when you think about it, though, any money that they were really being paid, um, it would be more of a theft stipend on top of what their real source (laughs) of income was in stealing and fencing musical instruments. Definitely. They were were, uh, racketeering. (laughs) Those bad boys. Ringo Tears. (laughs) <laughs> Ringo tears and Ringo cried tears when he got replaced by a professional drummer oh so sad so yeah now let's do uh, P.S. I Love You well how about that I rather enjoyed it yeah pleasant little song you know, I, I definitely uh, appreciated it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's got a, it, 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 it feels like, it feels like idea and execution come together for that song in a way that a lot of the Beatles songs we've talked about don't. Just don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I... the emotion, the emotion of the song and the emotion of the lyrics are kind of on the same page. Yeah. The chanting, I thought, could have been a little bit uh, louder, more pronounced, more sinister. More sinister. <laughs> more sinister was my thought as well. <laughs> if they had thrown in a B.O.'s above every now and then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's writing a letter to B.O.'s above. <laughs> That's just my comment. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of a letter, I, I, I don't know what the circumstance would be to open a letter or or even including a letter at all the line as i write this letter <laughs> write this letter i hope this email finds you well as i write this letter send my love to you <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> You're writing a letter to someone and you say, send my regards to you. <laughs> send your Nothing. regards to yourself. Nothing compares to your regards. <laughs> your regards mean so much to me. Please send your regards to me. Send your regards to you. Send my regards to me. <laughs> Go ahead. Send in my guards. Send in the guards. Please return my guards. Send out the guard. <laughs> Send out the guard to you. Send out the guard so I can tell them I love them. <laughs> remember Send that I'll always remember that I'll always love the guard. <laughs> As I write this letter, I'm sending the guards out to you. <laughs> You've got ten minutes. <laughs> As he's writing the letter. <laughs> By the time this letter finds you, you'll already be dead, shot by my guards. <laughs> Good luck. I hope this email finds you dead. I hope this letter finds your heirs. <laughs> well. I send so my regards. <laughs> send my love to your heirs. <laughs> uh, now that we talk about it, I definitely agree that the chanting should be more sinister. I think the off-tune, the slightly off-tune guitar really gives it the edge. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that little you, you, you. <laughs> There's like a weird change there. I'm sure somebody's analyzed this weird change. Doctors hate him. They analyze this weird change. Guards the guards hate him. him. The, gu <laughs> the guards analyze him. Hmm. Uh, they've got Hannibal on the case. Mm. <laughs> Send my analysis. Send to your you? analysis. Send your analysis of my love <laughs> to you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, treasure these few words to learn together. Keep all my love forever. P.S. I love you. Usually the P.S. goes right at the end. <laughs> you can't just keep doing that. You know, you could. I guess, yeah. You might. These are different pages, you know. Just a, just a PS at the bottom of each. Yeah. Kind of got yeah. footnotes. Yeah, there's there's that part on that last. I don't know. There's there's not really choruses and verses here. It's just kind of <laughs> it's just kind of a free for all. More bonking and clonking. But there's that part on uh, the the second to last stanza, the 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 last time they do as I write this letter where. I think it's Paul do, doing more like like backup sounds, and he's like, "Oh," and then he's like, "You know, I want you to." Yeah. <laughs> now, if we got like the sort of rap improv things happening in lieu of the chanting, that would also be mm. good. Yeah. If we yeah. got some skirt skirts in there, yeah, if we got some, some ad libs in there, yeah. yeah. As I write this letter. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, this website is saying this is in the key of D major parentheses with Aeolian inflections. I think that's that weird sound that I'm feeling. Aeolian? Aeolian inflections. Yes, there's mayonnaise in there. <laughs> there's mayonnaise all, all over this thing. Nummy. Yeah, they put a little extra mustard on it. 
Ooh, get a little bit of extra mustard on that. Yeah, they put some English on it. Yeah, they put some English mustard. Yeah, <laughs> some English. They put some Frenches on it. <laughs> they put some Frenches. Yeah, some hamburgers. They put some hamburgers. Mm. <laughs> um, this song was written around the time the Beatles returned to Hamburg earlier in '62, and uh, it's credited to Lennon and McCartney. Uh, Paul says it's just an idea for a song, really. <laughs> Just an idea. Yeah, you think? A theme song based on a letter, like the paperback writer idea. It was pretty much mine. I don't think John had much of a hand. There are certain themes that are easier to hang a song on. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And Lennon also says, that's Paul's song. He wrote that in Germany. I might have contributed something. I can't remember anything in particular. It was mainly his song. Neither of these guys want to have written anything from their (laughs) early career. true and yet they're both credited for everything they would often uh play this one at the cavern club it was one of their favorite ones to do because it's kind of directed to you know the the women in the audience and they you know it's that thing with like you know every one direction song is 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 directed at you that's uh, the you know that's sort the of a classic girl boy band thing yeah hmm. the girl reading this letter yeah send my the regards girl... to the girl reading this <laughs> And my guards to the girl reading this. Besties. <laughs> Said my besties. My besties are closing in. <laughs> Legions of armed besties. The bestels. The best. Mm. Mm. The Bastille. <gasps> Bastille. They've stormed it. <gasps> a band they've stormed the bastille yeah the the song was recorded <laughs> it was recorded in 10 takes during the andy white session there's another one with andy white on the drums ringo played maracas ringo played maracas yeah ringo mm-hmm. played maracas uh funky cold thank Pina. you ringo it was briefly floated as like an a-side like could this be a single uh but ron richards who is the producer who was there in lieu of george martin at that session uh he happened to be aware of another song called p.s i love you so he was like nah no uh shortly after that recording session the beatles made their tv debut on the news program people and places people and places Mm. now are the beatles a people or a place uh they're a bug i believe Yeah, sort of a bug. Well, a beetle board could be a place. A beetle board. A big bad beetle board. Yeah, just off of Hamburg. <laughs> just off of <laughs> parasitic. Oh, no, that... Just off of Hamburg. No, that... <laughs> no that's a, a hub of uh, crime and villainy, crime and yeah. whatever. whatever. Hung off of Hamburg. Oh, they they sure were. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that TV appearance, they returned to Hamburg for their fifth and final residency, meaning they were unable to promote their brand new debut single in the UK. Uh, <laughs> oh. Oops. Yeah, so that being said, I mean, uh, you know, number 17 kind of <laughs> is not so bad, but uh, it was good enough to persuade George Martin to go ahead with another single. He still wanted to release the How Do You Do It song, but the Beatles were insistent on releasing their own stuff. 
So he had a look at another song from the September sessions called Please Please Me. Uh, and by the way, How Do You Do It would have its day. In March of 1963, Barton released it as the debut single by Jerry and the Pacemakers. Jerry and the Pacemakers? Yeah. Jerry and the Pacemakers. <laughs> and uh, that song went to number one in the UK. And there, actually, all three of Jerry and the Pacemakers' uh, debut singles went to number one in the UK, a feat that the Beatles failed to achieve. So, it's a win for Jerry. And look what happened to him. Mm-hmm. He, <laughs> he's <laughs> they sent the guards after him. Uh. <laughs> he was old before his birth. <sighs> so so that would bring us to uh Please Please Me, which is another song that we can throw on and that'll be our that'll complete our trifecta. It'll complete something. Oh. It'll complete the secret. <gasps> All right, please, please, me. But so, yeah, what do we think of uh, Please, Please Me? Less positively now that I've heard that than what I was thinking. <laughs> after I heard the First of version. all, the... The 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 version on the on the Beatles channel, we're getting some of that classic Beatles uh, audio stuff where <laughs> some of it's all in one ear and some of it's all in the other. Yeah, I like that. That comforts me. <laughs> it does. It's just I feel like this is still suffering from the severe bonky clonkiness that like amateur songwriting frequently does. Binaural Beatles. It's binaural Beatles. Um, oh no! Definitely a really, uh, a, <laughs> a really sort of angry. There's this um, this concept that Chris Fleming talked about the Australian horny chug, where uh, songs made by Australians will sometimes have this kind of thing about them and. Um, that it just lends a real urgency to love songs and horny songs and makes them kind of, uh, you know, just gives them Hate a weird, a we- yeah, it sort of gives them that energy. And I feel like here, the way they're, the way they're like, come on, come on, come on, come on, binaural, binaural Beatles for your, for your guard to march. Come on. Yeah. I, I, I guess this song is about, um, Summoning the Munchkin Army. Oral. Oral. It's about wanting, wanting her to. It's about wanting her to reciprocate. Oral, I guess. That's my, that... my my honest take on it. I think is that yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's a problem. Anyone, if that's such such a common problem, maybe for 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 these guys, sure. For John and Paul, yeah, they, they can't, they can't, they can't get for girls to go down there. John Paul Ringo George just can't get <laughs> well. Can't get no satisfaction. So no head. Can't get no satisfaction. So, no head. I don't want to sound complaining, but you know, there's always rain in my heart. I do all the pleasing with you. It's so hard to reason with you. Oh yeah, why do you make me blue? Huh. Yeah. Again, kind of a weird sort of introduction to the world in these opening lines. Last night, I said these words to my girl. (laughs) 
context exposition. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it it sort of sets the scene. You might be onto something, though. I mean, yeah, it's it's a thing that'll happen with like old songs and like old people talking about old songs where they like don't want to believe that it's about sex, and so they'll like just kind of not talk about it. But I, I just, I feel like the reasonable interpretation of this song is that yeah, it's about not not um, getting that reciprocation. Yeah, I think that's it. It's about the um, no, so no headbind. Yeah, it's about uh, it's about Lord Woodbind, the sixth beetle. <gasps> His wood was bound. <laughs> His wood was bound. <laughs> We're cracking oh, the riddle of the beetles. <laughs> head by head. <laughs> head by head. Oh boy. Oh, we're really queering the Beatles right yeah, now. Yeah, at some point we're gonna have to figure out what our clue is from all this, but we can come back to it as I go through these. Um, We'd better. These anecdotes on Please Please Me. The song was originally a ballad. Ballad. It was. <laughs> and George Martin hated it. In what sense was it a ballad? Thank God. It was, it was a, um, hold on, where's the John Lennon quote here? John Lennon, this track was written by John Lennon. Uh, it's credited to McCartney and Lennon, but it's, yeah, just John Lennon. He says, please, please me is my song completely. It was my attempt at writing a Roy Orbison song, would you believe it? <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. Y- y- you can really tell listening to this song that they're trying to write a song. Yeah, the um the original version was this very warbly kind of kind of Roy Orbison like no it was a lot slower and uh yeah apparently it sucked uh, according to George Martin. Okay, I believe it. Yeah, so he had them come in and record it at a faster tempo. Once they recorded it, he said, "Quote, you've just made your first number one," and indeed it was. The Paul's quote on the song's recording, we sang it, and George Martin said, "Can we change the tempo?" We said, "What's that?" And he said, make it a bit faster. Let me try it. And he did. And we thought, oh, that's all right. Yes. You're kidding. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They've already been in music for ages. How did they not know? They've been performing in Germany for years. They do not know what tempo is. (laughs) What? I only knew it in German. They've been marooned in Hamburg. (laughs) Yeah, they, they only know theft and violence. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the German word for tempo, Google Translate tells me, is in fact das tempo. <laughs> oh, they didn't say das. So they were like, <laughs> what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> das tempo. Oh, he means das tempo. <laughs> we're supposed to change is- das tempo, fellas. <laughs> Oh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> we can manage that. Yeah. So here's the problem with that story. <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 story, to be clear, is that he brought them in in November. There was a recording session from November 26th with Ringo, where they supposedly recorded this version of the song. The problem is, the 1995 compilation album Anthology 1 includes an up-tempo version of Please Please Me that was recorded at the September 11th session. <laughs> oh my god. 
Ron Richards, the engineer who we think was the producer for that session, says that Ringo didn't play drums at all at that session, which would mean that it was Andy White on on this other uptempo version of the song. But the technician, Jeff Emmerich, says that he saw them set up Ringo's kit at this session just to record Please Please Me. I mean, he Andy White could have been playing Ringo's kit. The... <laughs> it, I guess, yeah, but Andy White was playing his own kit for the other song. <laughs> now, these guys... Their memories all suck. Yeah, but wait, they were very drugged. I'm sure they were. They were off the prelies. They were off whatever, whatever else. George Martin claims that he first heard "Please Please Me" at the session where they re-recorded "Love Me Do," i.e., the the September 11th session. Fucking lies. Again, because George Martin, by all by most accounts, was not at that session. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) What is? What is he trying to do here? <laughs> what seems more likely is that he heard it at the first Ringo session, suggested they change it. They did the faster one the next week, and then George, I guess, didn't hear that one because he had them come in again two months later <laughs> and do a fast version again. Oh my god. He just didn't know about the fucking September session. But remember, George also claims that he brought Andy White in to record that, to re-record Love Me Do on the 4th. (laughs) So, so his vision of this is on the 4th, there was no September 11th session that I know of. I brought Andy White in on the 4th. We recorded Love Me Do. That was where I first heard Please Please Me and suggested they change it. And then, and then I brought them in two months later to do that. Oh my god. This is a murder mystery. This is his alibi. It, there's something sort of Talmudic about it. Isn't there? That's what I've <laughs> sort of been thinking and not wanted to, to just shout out, because I can't make everything about Judaism. But yeah, I've been but thinking that throughout this whole session, like, wow. Just these two, like, we hold by uh, Rav Emrick. Yeah! <laughs> I'm gonna need you to explain. So the 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 Gemara is is full of a lot of rabbis, you know, doing their interpretations of interpretations of the Torah, um, and the and the whole thing is just like people interpreting it one way and inter- interpreting it another way, and then at the end it's like, you know, the rabbis say this, or we hold like this, and there's, you know, there these, there's, you know, the the house of Shammai and the house of Hillel, and they have different interpretations of everything, and we mostly hold, and you know, we quote unquote mostly hold by Hillel, but there's like a couple things that that where it's Shammai, and strong yeah, notable it, it, exceptions. Yeah, I see. It's just, um, yeah, it's a lot of different it's interpretations. Disagreements. That, uh, yeah. Fully disagreements. Yeah. Behemoth disagreements. And so we're seeing that here with the, the George Martin version of events. Which what the hell? George heard the song on the 4th with Ringo, or maybe with Andy White, because he says that he brought Andy White then. By all accounts, they came in a week later and did a whole recording session with Andy at George's request without George. And they also did a faster version of Love Me Do, which was also George's request. But for that, they switched out Andy for Ringo for some reason. (laughs) 
really felt he was up to that challenge. George never heard that fast version of Love Me Do, or he didn't like that version, so he brought them back in in November to record it again and again with Ringo, who he didn't like. Oh my god. Okay. Meanwhile, this... <laughs> Meanwhile Andy White has claimed... <laughs> That the drums oh that the drums of the single version of the song are his. He would, wouldn't he? <laughs> the quote is from the drum sound, I can tell that I was on it because it was a vastly different sound to Ringo's drum set at the time. This was before he got the Ludwig kit. Each drummer gets an individual sound, first of all by the way they tune the drums, and then by the way they play the drums. Sorry. And yeah. We know for a fact that Andy White was not at the November session. And oh. and we also have a fast version from the September 11th session, which isn't the single version, and also, according to the technician, has Ringo on drum. Oh my god. Oh my <laughs> god. Okay, I'm beginning to formulate a theory. Okay. My theory is that uh, we're seeing traces of the Beatles and their associates being career criminals, and I think they're all trying to construct different alibis to cover up different crimes at this time. <laughs> to cover up oh, and this is the secret. This is the the Beatles' secret is their sort of criminal, uh, their, their sort of criminal uh, activities that they cover up with stories about recording songs, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> except this. <laughs> This is my shitty, shitty theory. <laughs> the Beatles are a front. Is, <laughs> is, what, correct. is what we're starting to get this to. Is absolutely correct. <laughs> and then that... Because I guess it would make sense to me that George Martin would be confused because there was a session that he wasn't at. Mm-mm. But does he... But he, he says he remembers bringing in Andy White. <laughs> and Andy White says that he's on this, this single version of the song, which could have been at the fourth, maybe if he was there, or at the except that from from the technician's account, Ringo recorded this song specifically on the eleventh. Or maybe Andy White is only contradicting the technician's claim that they brought in Ringo for just this song. I'm not understanding the timeline. Uh, so I'm going to theorize that they're also individually covering up their own crimes. It could be. There are four recording sessions to keep track of here. The June 6th one, which was the one where Pete Best was on drums. The September 4th one, which is the one where Pete Best was fired and replaced with Ringo. And maybe, according to George Martin's account, he also didn't let Ringo play that day and brought in Andy White. The September 11th session with Andy White on drums and Ringo kind of sidelined, which George Martin was not at. And that is the one where they first recorded a faster version of Love Me Do, which I guess George suggested the previous week. But that for that version, according to the technician, they brought in Ringo just for that song. And according to Andy, it's him on that song, except no... Because the, the single version of the song was recorded two months later on November 26th at a session that Andy White was okay, so we, at. So we don't know if Ringo or Andy did 9-11. Exactly. Huh. 
Okay. <laughs> wow. This is a riddle I'm never going to solve. I'm sorry to report. <laughs> it's too much. Well, we, we... Hey, this is what this podcast is for. Yeah, this... We, the whole... We're solving the entire Be- Beatles riddle for teens, but this week we just need a clue. Hmm. We need to get a clue, and I well, there's a few more notes to go through before we really start to figure out what we're taking away from this. Hmm. In December, so after the November 26th session, the Beatles concluded their final Hamburg residency. Please Please Me dropped in January of 1963, along with its B-side, Ask Me Why, which I didn't prepare notes on, but, I mean, we could listen to that if we wanted to. It was, as Martin predicted... Uh, again, implying that he was at the recording session where, <laughs> where right. the song was recorded. Their first number one hit. After being dissatisfied with how EMI handled the previous single rollout, Epstein went and made a separate publishing deal with this guy Dick James. And Dick James is the one who got the band booked on the show Thank Your Lucky Stars to debut this single. And that appearance was a big deal. Uh, they got a lot of attention for their, quote, unusual appearance and hairstyle. Right. <laughs> and uh, after the song started climbing the charts, the Beatles started booking tours as a backing band, first for Helen Shapiro, then for Tommy Rowe, then for Roy Orbison. Wow, huh. full circle. Yeah, Roy Orbison, who this song was uh, originally uh, inspired by. Funny. Yeah. Capitol Records was offered a chance to release the single in the U.S., but they turned it down. It was uh, dumped on the international distributor Transglobal, who are tasked with finding a U.S. label who will take it as soon as possible. Atlantic also rejected it, and then <laughs> and then VJ, one of the earliest black-owned record companies, picked it up. Uh-huh. Yeah, they had recently had seen commercial success with The Four Seasons and the song I Remember You by Frank Ifield. Uh, and I Remember You is a song that John Lennon is on record calling a terrible thing. Um, he had said that about that song, because that was a very popular song that had harmonica in it, and that was part of the logic behind making um, uh, Love Me Do the uh, original single. Uh, <laughs> so, again, kind of a full circle thing, where they signed to the label of the song that he hated that had harmonica on it, but was the reason that he released a song with a harmonica on it. Um, wow, rivalry. The first pressings of the VJ single contain a typographical error, and maybe maybe this will be what our clue ends up being. Beatles <laughs> with two T's. <laughs> B-E-A-T-T-L-E-F. B-T-S? <laughs> B-T-S. Just like in TikTok. Just like TikTok. And uh, the writers were credited in reverse order, where they were McCartney-Lennon on the UK version. Uh, and they would be Lennon-McCartney from that point forward. Yeah. Um, although, again, there's no account of... Like, like, everyone says that this was entirely John's song, but they just kind of put that, that, that label on everything. Hyphenating. The US release of the song by VJ was a failure. It sold just 7,000 copies. Oof. And around the same time, the Beatles began working on their day album and they made a pact that every member of the band would get a chance to sing on each of their albums including ringo (sighs) those were the halcyon days of naivety (laughs) (laughs) and so when you next join us dear listener we will be talking about a beatles album god help us (laughs) Oh no. So 
concluding thoughts for this episode uh, of our journey into the Beatles riddle for teens. We had talked about the Beatles secret and we're starting to formulate the idea that they are uh, covering up crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scoundrelry. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they're scoundrelism. They're scoundrelitis. And uh, this is the, uh, like, like that their musical career is sort of cover up. Yeah. I believe there was a, a murder. A murder? No, I don't. Well, Stu died. And they're sticking the guards oh, yeah. on people. <laughs> they were sticking yeah. the guards on people, and Stu, and that would, that would make sense that they're writing him a letter because they were in, in uh, England, in jolly old England, and he was in jolly old Burke. Yeah, wasting away <laughs> in the dungeons of Hamburg. Yeah, wasting away in the dungeons of Margaritaville. Uh, <laughs> 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 so. We need to figure out what uh, the clue that we're taking away from this week is. And I feel like maybe it's something about P.S. I Love and the potential for a murderous cover-up there. It could yeah. also just be Be- Beatles with two Ts if we, can't, if we can't find anything there. But let's see. Um, There's a lot, I think, about the, the Beatles' will to power. You know, their, uh, their savage uh, repression of both competition and ally. That's true. With uh, <laughs> with uh, he, uh, John called the Frank Ifield song a terrible thing. Yeah. Uh, he didn't like the George's tie. Their doctrinaire hatred. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'm looking through the uh, the various quotes here, just seeing if there's something. I don't like your tie. Is definitely. Come on. Re- Come on. <laughs> Uh, I think we need to find more out about the uh, the pact. Yeah, that seems important. In the first wave of Beatlemania, Ringo was the most popular Beatle. What? Yeah, who's your bias in the Beatles? <laughs> there were nuts about Ringo. Let's see. Um, the gist of it is... And tell me if there's a problem. The gist of it is um, when they performed on the Ed Sullivan show, um, the comedy duo that was also performing that night, one of them turned to John Lennon and said, can you believe this is all for you? And Lennon shrugged and said, it's Ringo, actually. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, the reason that Ringo is on every album, according to George Martin, is that and according to several sources, is that Ringo was just... The most fuckable Beatle. I... (laughs) I guess so. What are we taking away from from this foray? What is our, our clue? BTS. The dark e-boy conspiracy that was the Beatles. Making a sinister pact. <laughs> repressing mm-hmm. their fellow musicians. <laughs> we're, li- uh-huh. we're listing their crimes here. Um... Yeah, because you get a sense that they're like really pushing uh, this intense underdog story where they're beset at every turn by troubles. Come on! But in reality, Come on. yeah, <laughs> there's certainly yeah, that's all. I mean, there's certainly a, a a big element of everyone being like, I can't stand these guys. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many times do they say "Come on"? 
let's see, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 24 times. 24 times. Oh, that's the Beatles' secret number. That might be, that might be a clue. Come on, 24 times. Okay, so um, from their underdog story to their great success and the pact that lies between. Mm. <laughs> I think the four recording sessions could be. Yeah, yeah that's June 6th, September 4th, September 11th. The question that I have, the sort of question and answer in one that I have had rattling around in my head all this time, but I haven't wanted to say, has been, where were you on 9-11, unfortunately? Okay. Because yeah. that's sort of been important. I don't know that that <laughs> belongs in this uh, nice production, but... On September 11th. And then, I'm trying to, I guess the Beatles with the extra T could also be a thing. Beatles. 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 It's the Beatles. It's the Beatles. <laughs> der das, das Tempo. The Beatles mit Das Tempo. Das Tempo. <laughs> so, yeah, we are certainly, I think, it, I think this, uh, it, it, this step of our journey of a thousand miles uh, to uncover the arcane riddle for teens, we are starting to lean towards a potential criminal conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Shrouded in mystery. I, yeah. I truly wish we weren't, but I think this is the direction this is going. <laughs> yeah, and we have, uh, these these conflicting reports of when and where these songs were recorded, uh, these alibis, these various alibis for September 11th. Uh, Ringo was playing maracas. George Martin wasn't in the studio. It never happened, or maybe it did. John was dead. Who done it? John was dead. <laughs> Dude oh, was dead. Like yeah, Stu was dead. Stu was dead. Mm -hmm. they, they said, sacrifice human sacrifice. They sent the guards after him. They made a pact over Stu that they would um, that they would let Ringo. <laughs> they let Ringo go free from the guards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam and Leon, thank you so much for joining me on this continued journey. Thank you very much for having. Me. See, I'm deeply sorry for having me. <laughs> sorry to have you next time when you next join us in our in our beatles journey we'll be talking about the album please please me god help us oh boy Yeah, yeah, yeah.